Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello there and welcome back to the podcast. It's Mike Williams here. Thanks again for joining us. Listen, before we get started, today's title is Grab Some Popcorn, uh, but more importantly, we want to send our prayers out to those who have been harmed by the attacks in Orlando, as the news is uh, covering repeatedly for us right now. Sadly, these these attacks from all over the world seem to be um, causing these thoughts to be sent out more and more these days. But sadly, we must move on with issues at hand. The markets, obviously, as summer comes along, are slacking off for some quiet battle at the highs as last week ended the chatter of Brexit and the coming Fed indecision, if you will, were the chosen culprits. There will be others, don't worry. After both of these have passed, the summer haze will thicken, and indeed more monsters will arise to catch our attention. So it's summer, guys. Grab some popcorn. We've seen this movie before, but there are a few a few scenes worth seeing again. The barbell economy continues to exhibit its strength underneath all the noise and chaos of the real problems we're told by experts we should be focused on. The airwaves are covered end-to-end with monster after monster in every shadow. In recent weeks, we've seen lots of new stuff about impending doom, central banks having no way out, stocks being overpriced, corporate profits slowing, an earnings recession, and of course, gold being your best bet again. My thought remains pretty stable. A, let's stay focused on the proper economic elements being driven by massive change. And B, let's be willing to act in a summer swoon, if we can get one, when most other investors will run from what they perceive as risk. Risk is what's left over after you've thought of everything else, was a comment once written by a guy named Carl Richards. Here's the thing, though. As much as all the experts are pretty certain they indeed have the thing that is the risk in focus, history tells us something different repeatedly. Over and over again, we find the risk is always the stuff that no one is talking about because it's impossible to predict. Real risk, which is always present, is something you can't think of right this second. Think of this headline from September 8, 2001. Economists and analysts acknowledge that the risks remain largest, chief among them the continued decline in corporate profits. Oddly enough, that sounds like something we could write about today as well, But I digress. The larger issue to recognize is this. That headline took place less than 72 hours before the 9-11 terrorist attacks. So 72 hours before the world really looked like it was ending and thousands of people lost their lives from an event we couldn't have defined. The very top risk on economists' minds at that time was dwindling corporate profits. By the way, sadly enough, we lost many lives, but corporate profits have gone up quite a bit since then. So they were wrong on both fronts. 
It drives home the point that risk is always present, but it's also what's left over after you think you've thought of everything else. In the end, though, it also drives home an even bigger point. We recover unless we panic. Here's a thought about some bad winters several years in a row now. We've seen ugly Q1 GDP numbers. Just last year before winter began, economists told us repeatedly that our biggest risks were the Fed raising rates, housing was going to slow down again, high risk of recession in Europe, and Greece was going to default on its debt, causing a ripple effect across the EU. Once again, we could see that headline today, but here's the deal. No one suggested in all of their risks that nine feet of snow would blanket Boston over the summer and shut down large parts of the Northeast. This provides a spotlight on how nearly everyone in the financial services community views the value of predictions in a world that is inherently unknowable. The record? Well, Economists will admit they're right about 20% of the time over long periods of time. That's nothing negative, that's just fact. Elements based on demography, however, are correct about 80% of the time. Why? Well, think about it. People, in general, don't change. Their numbers stay pretty steady when seen in generational formats. It's why we say, count people first money and economics will follow. Further, people often do some of the very same things as they grow up and age. When you can watch a mass of people moving through various stages of life, one can be pretty comfortable with what that mass of people will do next. Again, in general, not very specific, but in general, as they move through the age curve of life. While nothing is guaranteed for any of us, this viewpoint does provide a fairly solid pathway to understand potential events ahead more effectively. The portfolios we provide serve to prove that in real time, over time, at least since 2011 when we started posting them online in your members' area. More black swans? Well, there's an overwhelming amount of discussion these days about doom and coming black swans. Surprisingly, very smart people have forgotten that the original book about black swans defined them as, quote, unpredictable outlier events, unquote. Now, discussing their potential occurrence on airwaves for all to hear around the world in seconds over and over and over again until we're blue in the face sort of takes them out of the black swan definition, right? I mean, if we discuss them all day long, they're no longer outlier events. They're known possible risks, and markets immediately price them in. So the unpredictable nature of that thing we keep fearing goes away, and it can no longer be called a black swan. In his book, The Black Swan, Nassim Taleb stated, and I'm quoting here again, the inability to predict outliers implies the inability to predict the course of history. But we act as though we are able to predict historical events, or even worse, as if we are able to change the course of history. We produce 30-year projections of Social Security deficits 
and oil prices without realizing that we cannot even predict these for next summer. Our cumulative prediction errors for political <clears throat> events are so monstrous, monstrous that every time I look at the empirical record, I have to pinch myself to verify what, that I am not dreaming. What is surprising is not the magnitude of our forecast errors, but our absence of awareness of it. You see, whether we like it or not, planning first remains first. We've written about much for clients over the years. I've done many of these podcasts. No matter the levels of generational wealth, the fundamental issue is still to plan first. It helps you adjust your perspective of risk. If you have a different perspective of risk, your reactions to it may be healthier for your long-term benefit. For example, by having liquid investments and near-term events covered for your family, we can then focus on a healthier viewpoint. We can carry a flexible expectation going forward and be better prepared to adapt to circumstances as they unfold. Most important, as your, time, as your framework of time shifts, you can negate the need to fret over markets tomorrow. In closing, let's talk a little bit more about the consumer today. We hear about it all the time. We hear much talk about the terrible health of the consumer, but the, the data simply do not back this up. Your last podcast covered new record wealth levels for the U.S. in nominal and per household terms. Quite simply, there has never been this much wealth before, so it is drastically surprising to me that we are still so afraid. But that's good for long-term investors from a contrary point of view. More importantly, the chart I'm about to describe to you puts this into context. The ongoing accumulation of wealth that we have seen is not a house of cards built on some staggering, growing, risky debt bubble, regardless of what you might hear from the naysayers and the many predictors of doom getting so much attention. In fact, I want to tell you something. As a percent of total assets, okay, as a percent of total assets, the household leverage today is oddly enough equal to what it was in 1989. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. It's about 15% of total assets. In 1989, it was about 15% of total assets. Now, obviously, in the housing bubble, when everybody thought real estate was the only thing you needed, debt spiraled higher. Here's the deal. The average household has cut its leverage by over 30% since the onset of the Great Recession in 2008. Household liabilities today are the same as they were in 2008 as a dollar term, but financial assets have increased by a third since then, thanks to significant gains in savings, <clears throat> as you might guess, bonds, and equities. Forget the fact that the real estate market has oddly enough recovered. Since the dreaded peak of the housing market in 2006, the value of households' real estate holdings has not only fully recovered, 
but it's gone on to new record highs by almost 4% higher. Moreover, the Federal Reserve data suggests that owner's equity in real estate has returned to its previous high in 2006 at $13 trillion, having more than doubled since the mid-2009 lows. Recent data also shows the real estate market has a new problem, not enough stuff to fill demand in many locales. Think about that for a second. We have told you repeatedly on these podcasts, count people. Count people first. Remember, expansion ahead needs to begin to focus us all on fiscal policies, which have been dynamically flawed in the current administration for the last eight years. These are the things we need to focus on, along with the fact that we have a generational makeup in the United States that will power demand in our pipeline for decades to come. Demand that will be shocking in many sectors. I want to give you one little glimpse of what I mean by that. Over the next three, five, seven, and ten year periods, 50 million kids are going to move out of their houses, get their own place, get married, start having kids, and the cycle will explode all over again. Let's stay focused on the important stuff, not the doom and gloom. That gets your attention. Remember, fear gets your attention. People move markets. Let's stay focused on the right thing. Thanks again for joining us. Until we see you again, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.